listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise God, church folks. See, some of you guys aren't church folks, so you didn't know what to do when I said that. Do I have any church folks here today? Praise God, all the church folks. Amen. So glad to be in church with all of you today. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for joining with us, giving us some of our time, some of your time, I should say. We're here anyway. We're glad that you're joining with us. We believe God has something very rich and very real for you, for your life. And can the church say amen? Uh, I want to say a special thank you to all of you who support this church with your time, your talents, your finances. Uh, you make this church possible. The only reason why this church has anything, the only reason why we have pews to sit in, uh, anything at all, or not pews but chairs, you understand what I mean, um, is because people uh, feel a unity with the purpose of the church and they support that purpose uh, of the church. Otherwise, the church has nothing. There's no government agency we can get money from. Uh, if you figure one out, let me know. I'm good at paperwork. I'll figure that. Actually, I'm not, but Don is. And, <laughs> and we'll figure that out. But if the church has anything, I, li I, I literally mean that to the smallest thing. If the church has anything at all, if we have a camera, if we have a set of drums, it's because of people like you who did not just want to have a one-way relationship with God where he gives and gives and gives and you take and take and take, but you said, I want to show you with my blessing, my increase. I want to show you with my heart that I'm giving to what you care about. So I just want to start. I don't do that enough. I want to do it more. I want to say thank you to every one of you who fill out an envelope, put it in the kiosk in the back, or give online. I want to say thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm a preacher, but you know what that gets me? That gets me a home Bible study group unless I have people. And people have to join with the heart of the church, the heart of the Lord, the heart of the ministry. And so I want to say thank you, dearly beloved. May you have many children. So, all right. I was speaking spiritually. Why did you get scared? <laughs> uh, actually, children of any type are good. We love children. So, uh, my title today is How to Write a Praise Song. How to Write a Praise Song. And I want you to notice that Pastor Mellix isn't here today. Um, and I had to wait till he left to preach about writing a praise song. Uh, the reason why is because I don't feel like an expert if he's here. Um, but uh, if he's not here, well, then I feel like an expert. I just pronounce myself an expert on praise and worship services. Is anybody glad to be in church here today? Has God been good to anybody in this house? Does anybody have a praise in their heart here today? I just had a sudden emotion that I don't want to have church by myself, and I'm so glad I have all you guys here. Uh, I want to talk about how to write a praise song, and I want to start by saying this. You should be a worshiper every day of your life, every circumstance of your life. You should have a praise on your lips, and can some church folks say amen? I want to be somebody who finds it natural to give God glory, to give God honor. And like most preachers, I have preached quite a, good, quite a lot about praise and worship because I believe it is fundamental, it is necessary, it is foundational to write living before God. It's not enough for me to simply go to God as though he were some type of Santa Claus and demand this, I've been good, now give me that. Uh, that's not the right relationship that we should have with God. God was good before you were blessed. You are not the standard of God's character. That's right. That's right. Let me say it closer to home. I am not the standard of God's character. I might get hit by a Mack truck on the way home. God is still good. Now, I want good things, and you want good things, and I want to have a little bit gooder things than you. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. I, like all of you, want blessings. Can I have an amen? I want health in my body. Can I have an amen? I want my children to flourish. 
I don't want my children just to survive. And as a parent, I spend a lot of time thinking how, and you do too. Some of you guys are better parents than I am. I mean, not by a lot, but by a little bit, you know. <laughs> you worry about your children flourishing. And if you have any sense, and if you're a person of faith, you pray for your children. If you have any sense, if you have any, uh, forgive me for saying that way, that's a very condescending religious way to say it. But I, I honestly feel that way. Let me lay, say it to myself. If I, if I have any sense, I pray for my children. Uh, that is, that's the biggest part of blessing in my life. If, um, you know, it's like, how can I say I do well if my children don't do well? You know what I mean? And you know what I mean? We want blessing, but we cannot let our perception of God's goodness be built upon our perception of where we are right now. Because that is to judge God and to live a life of passing judgment upon God. And who are we, oh man, oh woman, to pass judgment on God? He was good before you got sick. <laughs> and once you pass over to your reward, hopefully he'll still be good because you'll need him a lot to be good then. I want to convey something to you today if God will help me to shoot an arrow when it strike the target of your heart. God's goodness is not based on your bank account. It's not based on the neighborhood you live in. God is good all the time. So I, I, have, I have taught and uh, preached a lot about praise, and uh, I think it matters. I think it is important. I think it is fundamental. Uh, I did a little, I let Google do a search for me in 30-plus uh, years of preaching. I know it's terrifying to say that. I probably should say uh, 30 years of preaching. I preached my first message at 20, and I am years old now. So let's say 30 years of preaching. And it, I, I, let, I just did a, a praise and worship search through 30 years of notes. And uh, yes, my notes are organized, and yours should be too. If not, there's an altar down here. You can repent and start making a difference tomorrow. Anyway, um, I, I've, I found, I, I jotted down seven ways I've preached about praise. So I'm going to give them to you real quick. Uh, and it goes like this. One of the ways I have preached about praise is the importance of getting your focus off of you and your focus upon God. Uh, we praise him for his mighty deeds and we praise him for his excellent greatness. Our focus is not on us. Our focus is on God. If our focus is on us, the sign of it is you will be really impressed by your troubles. You'll be really intimidated by your problems. But if your focus is on God, you will be impressed with his excellent greatness. And can somebody say amen? amen? The second way I have preached about praise and worship as a lifestyle is how praise always reestablishes us in a place of humility. Uh, the greatest enemy of our life is not the devil. I, I know it's easy to think uh, the devil is our enemy, uh, but the real enemy, honestly, is ourself. And when we choose self, what we do is enter into a league with the devil. The devil doesn't have power over you. The devil, he is a marketer. He is a confidence man, or I should say a confidence spirit. You've heard of con men? He's a con spirit. And he tries to convince you and terrify you and uh, in some way have oppression on you. But the battle you fight is not against something you can just be rebuke and be done with it. Yeah. Try rebuking Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> Try rebuking Krispy Kreme. You know what the problem with Krispy Kreme donuts is? You stinking want a dozen. That's the problem. And you can rebuke them, but that hot now sign is on, and you're saying, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. You know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you're on a diet. We, you've been on a diet for 30 years, and nothing's changed. <laughs> Honey, you know you're just as bad as me. Krispy Kreme can put a beating about your head, neck, and shoulders. That's the problem. It's flesh. It's self. And that's why Paul teaches us to turn away from flesh and self, not rebuke it, but to crucify, discipline it, bring it under subjection. Oh, my goodness. I know it's, nobody's excited about this message. I'm moving on. Uh, hopefully, you won't hate me too much. 
Praise gets our focus off of us and gets it back on God. Praise brings us to a place of humility. God is the one who is great, not us. God is the one who is mighty, not us. It brings us to humility. Psalms 95, 2 and 3, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. If you're too impressed with your troubles, you need a praise service. Uh, the third way that I have preached, taught, celebrated, Bible studied this uh, is, uh, this is one of the fun ones, is how praise confuses the enemy. The enemy does not know what you are thinking. He is not omnipotent. He doesn't know uh, what you are wrestling with, but he knows a lot about human nature. Did you hear what I just said? He knows what you're probably thinking and what you're probably wrestling with and what you're probably dealing with because he's known and watched and observed a lot of people similar to you go through similar things. Uh, we are all people of common passions and common distractions and, yes, common sins. And uh, he uh, can be confused when you show up in the house of God and he has been beating on you all week long and he thinks he's got you in a position of true spiritual oppression and all of a sudden you come to the house of God and you say, praise God in the sanctuary. And the, 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 the demonic forces are like, man, I thought we had them tied up. We had them all discouraged, depressed, and look at them, praising God in the sanctuary. It confuses uh, the enemy. Uh, and uh, you all know the story of Jehoshaphat and how they're beset by the enemy and it looks like they're going to be destroyed. And the Bible says, Second Chronicles 20, verse number 22, as they began to sing and praise. Somebody say, sing and praise. Amen. Now turn to your neighbor, get your grandma finger out and say, you need to sing and praise. Get that grandma finger out. You need to sing and praise. And don't let the fact that you can't sing stop your singing. <laughs> Y'all didn't want to do that one. Okay, all right. I know sometimes if your spouse can't sing, you don't want them to sing. That's my wife's testi testimony, but I'm not going to preach that part of the note she gave me. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> They begin to sing and praise God. And the Bible says the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir that were invading Judah, and they were defeated. You know what the people of God did? They begin to praise God. What did God do? He set ambushes against the enemy. Praise confuses your enemy. Number four, and I, I skipped this one in the 9 a.m. service. Evidently, they didn't need it, but y'all need it really, really bad. Number four, praise gives your busybody tongue something to keep Keep it busy. Your tongue is a busy body, and it's always chewing on something. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but if you're sitting by somebody and you know that was for them, you can just kind of elbow them where no one can see you. You know that yeah, praise gives your busy body tongue something to keep it busy. And here's the thing. It's not a dysfunctional busy. It's a busy of blessedness. It's not a busy of pain, suffering, and leaving people defeated and in spiritual despair. Instead, it is a busy of blessing. So my word to anyone here today with a busybody tongue, <laughs> and that's all of you, so don't be acting righteous. Get busy praising God. Get busy praising God. Praise God in his sanctuary. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. All right, where are we at? Okay, so moving on. Let's give them something to talk about. Praise makes room in your spirit for God's blessing. There is some relationship between God's ability to trust us and his ability and willingness to bless us. God will not bless you in a way that is ultimately a curse to you. And oftentimes we pray for things that are really going to put us in a place of spiritual risk and even spiritual danger because we asked amiss. We 
asked according to our lusts, and God will not do that. But when we have attitudes and hearts of praise, we're able to show God, not just with our mouth, but with our life, that we understand the source of all blessings. Somebody say the source of all blessing. You are ready to be blessed when you understand the source of blessing, but if you don't understand the source of blessing, it's always the potential to be a curse to you because you think you are the source of blessing in your life, and that is a curse. It is to carry a heavy burden of expecting from yourself something you are incapable of giving to yourself and as another way of living out the lie in your life. God is the source of blessing above all things, and so when we praise him, we get spiritual order and we show as witness to heaven and as witness to earth that we understand the source of blessing and we're able to say with Paul, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places with Christ. Another way I've preached about it is just to preach about how Praise is an invitation uh, for God's presence and that God uh, dwells close to them that praise him. He lives there. He looks for it. In fact, David, who really in a beautiful way we recently visited in our, our, our series that we recently finished up, uh, it is uh, shown in the life of David of how his heart really built a continuing habitation for the Lord, not just a physical house that could be destroyed by a Babylonian empire say but a real habitation of praise and here's the thing every one of you is invited to be a participate a participant in the habitation of praise that David King David showed us how to offer unto the Lord it is a house that God longs to live in That's why we offer true, sincere praise and worship to the Lord. Uh, uh, Next, our spirits are refreshed and renewed in his presence. In his presence, the psalmist said, there is fullness of joy. Praise builds faith and praise establishes a culture in your life of spiritual expectancy. You can always tell people who have a culture of spiritual expectancy in this way. They are looking for what God is going to do. His spirit, the Bible teaches us, is like a wind that moves through our lives and it stirs the leaves here and it rustles the trees there and uh, it moves the clouds of refreshing rain from where they are to where they need to be and that spirit moves into your life as a rushing mighty wind and he gives you a sign of spiritual tongues as evidence that he has in fact taken up residence in the tabernacle of your soul that you have invited him into with praise and worship. It is in your life this spiritual expectancy that you begin to live with and like a weatherman looking for where the wind is going to blow, you begin to say, God, where are you going to move in my life? It changes everything about what you're going through. When you see someone hurting, you don't automatically think you poor darling and you automatically begin to thank God, what are you going to do in this situation? When you're going through difficulty, you don't think in terms of nobody loves me. I'll never get ahead. Nothing good ever happens to me. No, that's all the dysfunction of a life without faith. When you have spiritual faith, real spiritual expectancy, you can even look at trouble and say, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I promise you this, when he does, I'm going to praise him for for it. And uh, this spiritual expectancy, I think one of the greatest stories of how praise changes the atmosphere is that uh, wonderful story of Paul and Silas. And uh, they were preaching the gospel and their enemies come upon them and they, they grab them, they arrest them, they beat them with a cat of nine tails, they lock them up in stocks and bonds and they leave them in prison in the most uncomfortable sleeping position you can imagine locked up in stocks or Bonds, And I can only imagine that after a while, your lower back is just on fire. You can't really lean back because now you're pulling on your hands. It's meant 
to be miserable, and that's where they are. Here's the interesting reality. Uh, Preachers, uh, we oftentimes can feel sorry for ourselves on Monday, and that's after people was mostly nice to us. It's the truth. I call my friends on Monday, and I'm like, my God, I'm just ready to end it all today. I'm not really ready to end it all. I'm just cutting up because you're tired, and uh, as uh, you, let me give you some inside baseball. Uh, Sunday for preachers is an overload of adrenaline. Uh, Public speaking uses as much adrenaline. If you don't believe this, you should try it. Maybe you could do next Sunday. (laughs) Some of you are like, yes, please. And I'm like, give me my microphone, you crazy person. (laughs) Uh, Using adrenaline, uh, it it tires you in a strange way that you would not expect it to. And they've actually done tests on this. And um, uh, the tests were misquoted. And you'll hear preachers sometimes say, I I grew up hearing this, you know, they did a test, you know, and preaching on Sunday is as much work as uh, working an eight-hour day of manual labor. Well, now, uh, let me tell you as someone who has done both, thank you very much. (laughs) In fact, I've done both for years. I was a bivocational pastor uh, longer than I have been a full-time pastor. Uh, Well, I was full-time then, but I was not bivocational anymore. Not really. I mean, you can make an argument. Anyway, moving along. (laughs) The point being is uh, preaching is not physically tired like that, but I will say this. It uses more adrenaline in a short period of time than a whole day of regular work does. You don't use a whole lot of adrenaline in regular work. In preaching, the moment they give you a microphone, your stomach starts going. You start thinking, my God, what if my mom disapproves of what I preach about today? What if I make a joke about my wife and she beats me up when I get home? Bad things happen. You live in terror and fear. And even when everyone's nice to us and they lie to us about they tell us we preach good and we even didn't, you still can be down on Monday morning. True story, inside baseball, to preachers. Now imagine you come to church and you're trying to preach the gospel instead of them being sweet to you and mostly saying amen when you get to the good part. Uh, imagine, instead of that, they beat you up from the back of the church to the front of the church. I mean, they put a real beat down on you. And uh, here you are all beaten up and then they arrest you. And then they take a whip and they beat the skin off your back and then they lock you up in stocks and bonds. Let me tell you, you have not begun to hear me feel sorry for myself as like you did when you did that to me. I will be pitiful. And here's Paul and Silas. And what do they do? Paul leans over to Silas and said, well, we could sing and praise God. Silas is like, you best get out of my face. That's exactly what he said. It's in the NJE version. What are you talking about? Can you imagine the manner in which this happened? You know how friends are. There's always a spiritual one and a carnal one. That's always the way it is. You know it's the truth, except for a few of you and all your friends are as carnal as you are. But I'm not talking about that. That's funny and nobody laughed. All right. Uh, the point being is, let's, let's say Paul's, the, Paul's the, the spiritual one and Silas is, you know, he's keeping it real, you know, how we say. Uh, oh, really? Really? All preachers love to have fun with this story. But the point of the story is at some point, they turned the pity party that could have happened into a praise service. What happens? The Bible says, suddenly there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Let me tell you this. Here's the lesson. Of all the ways that I have preached praise over the years, and there's more, but we'll stop there uh, because my wife's starting to give me that look, and I know it. So uh, we'll stop there. Here we go. I can't always get my circumstances right. Did you hear what I said? This is confession time. I can't always get my situation right. But if I will choose to, I can get my praise right. So let me say to somebody here today, your situation is far from right, and we all know it. How is your praise service going? I want to show you today that you can transcend almost anything. If you get the focus off the context, off of the circumstance, and you remind yourself that God is good. He is merciful. He has been so kind to us. He is mighty. He is glorious, and there is nothing too hard for God. Now, 
Let me tell you a sacred story. All preachers tell you sacred stories as a way of teaching you uh, spiritual truths. The story I want to take you to is Exodus chapter number 15. And here we see uh, Moses lead the people of Israel in a worship song, a praise song. We'll start reading at verse number one. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Say that with me. They sang this song to the Lord. Uh, They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. I want you guys to say this with me. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. What are we talking about? The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. What are you talking about, Moses? The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. And my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Faithfulness didn't start with me. He's been faithful and good for a long, long time. So uh, here you have this story of the scripture. A few things here I want to point out. Uh, The children of Israel have just been delivered from Egyptian bondage. Uh, They had been held as slaves. Their time in Egypt was 430 years, which is a pretty good chunk of your life. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, y'all didn't think that was funny, so let me move along. 430 years is is a good bit of time, and they have been, they have been, oppressed, imprisoned, and enslaved for generations. The problem with a generational challenge is it shapes you over multiple generations into a form and an emotional and psychological fashion which would not accurately represent who you would be, could be, should be in a different limiting situation. You are formed in the negative. So let's explain it this way. Uh, some of you have, uh, you have a history, you have experiences that could have destroyed you in 97 different ways, but God stepped into your life and he refashioned you. He reformed you. He remade you. You could be filled with hate, but you've learned that hate is a curse for two, and you're one of them. <laughs> and so uh, here you, you see them uh, struggle with the generational consequences of their oppression. And the result of that is they don't know how to fight, but they need to fight. Yeah. So what does God do for them? He fights for them. He takes them into a wilderness and says, you got to learn how to fight. So this is a whole different teaching, uh, scriptural understanding uh, that I have addressed at times and maybe we'll get to again. But the point I want you to see is after 430 years of oppression where they feel like God's not hearing me when I pray, God doesn't see the tears I cry. God doesn't care that I'm stuck in this horrible situation. 430 years, I maybe am preaching to some people here today. Maybe there's somebody watching online today, and you feel like you're stuck in your 430 years of same old, same old suffering and sorrow, and nothing seems to break it, and I am never going to get ahead. I'm never going to be able to afford my own house. I'm always going to pay for someone else's house. I'm never going to have a couple months expenses saved up and put away in a safe place. I'm always going to deal with this chronic health condition. I'm stuck. God doesn't see my tears. God doesn't hear my prayers. I want you to know it is a lie of your fears to say that God doesn't hear your prayer and God doesn't see your tears. Instead of trusting your fears, why don't you start trusting Trusting God's promises and start praising God for who he is, not just what you can see he's done for you. You see, whether or not I'm on a good day or a bad day, God's still a deliverer. 
whether or not I'm on the mountaintop or in the struggle, God is still my victory. If I had some church folks here today, we might have some church. Praise God, somebody. So I want you to imagine now they're out of the place of oppression. They have been set free, but Egypt still has an army, and that means Egypt still has the power to oppress, even if Egypt has decided not to oppress. Something transitional happens in this moment of Scripture. The army is left under the Red Sea of Judgment, and the army dies. And when the army dies, it doesn't matter if Egypt wants to oppress you or not. Egypt has lost its ability to oppress you. Some of you guys are struggling with things, and you feel the temptation in your life always wooing you, always seducing you, and like a... you know, a, a sailor of classical literature by the Isle of Sirens. You're always not listening to the sirens. And uh, you know there's an argument going on on the inside. And the good you is saying to the bad you, don't you, don't, don't, don't you even think about it. Don't, do you know, don't know, bad dog. And the bad part of you is talking to the good part of you, saying, you've done your best. You might as well just quit trying. Nobody else is trying. Everybody else is hypocrites. See, he did it. You should do it. And there's this argument going on in your spirit between who God says you can be and who your flesh says you ought to be. And the truth is, there's a battle to be won, and through the grace of God, we can win those battles. But I want to say this. There is a day of victory that is available to the believer where the army that could have oppressed you is taken away under the Red Sea of God's merciful covering. And even if that sin was presented to you, you wouldn't want it anymore. What has happened here, my brother, my sister? You see, Egypt says you can go, but we're going to keep our army behind you. And if we change our minds, we still have the power to oppress you. And God says, okay, we'll see how that works out for you. And then all night long after Moses prays, the wind blows and the Red Sea is pushed back until it seems like a safe place. That's what grace and mercy always seems like, a safe place. And you think that you can mock God and you can get away forever doing what you want. But remember, it was the mercy of God that pushed back judgment. That wind blew all night long and now the order comes to take back what God said was free. And God said, huh, okay. We'll see if mercy holds back when you pick a fight with me. And into the Red Sea marches the army of oppression. They still have the capacity to oppress, even if they said, we won't do it anymore. And out marches the army and the horse and the rider, which represents the best of the technology of the time, the cavalry and the chariots, the best war. That would be like modern jets and planes and aircraft carriers, the best that they have that can oppress the peoples of the earth. And God says, okay, okay, okay. You wanted, you said you wanted to let what I said was free, remain free, and now you're going to change your mind. Let's see what happens to your capacity to oppress. And in this moment, Moses watches, not just as they are taking out of the place of oppression, but he watches as the power of the oppressor is taken out of the oppressor's hand. And for the first time, they're not free by permission. They're free indeed. Yes. Y'all don't have to say amen. I thought that was good anyway. <laughs> no, I, I just like to cut up with you. I want you to see it's the will of God that you get to a place of victory where you're not just barely making it. Yes. It's the will of God for you to get to a place of victory where you feel joy to please God with your life, not duty, guilt, and pain. You feel joy to please God with your life. 
something happens in Moses right here, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to the end than the beginning, so be encouraged, my brothers and my sisters. So uh, something happens in the spirit of Moses, and something happens for the first time in Scripture. Uh, as far as I know, the very first time this happens is right here, Exodus chapter number 15, and Moses is standing there, and he does not know what to do with the emotion that he is experiencing. Don't you love it when God does something for you that you don't know how to put in words. You're just like, oh my goodness, I don't even know where to begin. God's been so good to me. He's been so good to me. I don't know. How can I tell it all? I don't think I can, but I'm going to praise him. I I don't even know. The Bible says that Moses decided to give God praise in the form of a song. Nowhere in the scripture had there been a song that had been given. There's no example of songs anywhere. I know we talk about angelic choirs, but uh, let me mess with your theology. Nowhere in the Bible is there a picture of angels singing. Angels make announcements, but we are the singers. We are the singers. We are the singers. Angels always make an announcement. I know you think the shepherds had a choir. They didn't have a choir. They had a chorus. It's not the same thing. (laughs) Anyway, the angels speak, um, but uh, something happens in Exodus. 15, and and it's like he just doesn't know what to do with it, and he starts singing. Have you ever heard a preacher, and they they get so worked up in their preaching, they just start singing right in the middle of their their, their preaching? If I was a better singer, I would do that more, because I think that is the coolest thing ever. In fact, true story, one of my favorite preachers growing up uh, was a man by the name of Bishop Golder. I think my dad had a tape of Bishop Golder or something. Uh, Bishop Golder is the guy, as far as I know, I'll give you some uh, off-the-cuff here things, uh, who did the great uh, preaching, how shall I say this, almost like poetry. Uh, If you ever hear a preacher and he starts saying this, he was the first who became the last and did not stop being the first. That's Bishop Golder. He was the beginning who became the end and did not cease to be the beginning. He was the lion. Mm. Y'all, y'all ain't church folks. I'm a church folk. He was the, Stella, you're a church folk. You know how to understand this right here. He was the lion that became the lamb and did not stop being the lion. That's Bishop Golder. So uh, I had found a tape of his, my dad had, I guess my dad had, I'll give you credit for it, because you get the credit for the bad, you might as well get the credit for the good too, right? So um, I, 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 my first year of Bible school, I think that's when it was, um, it was either that or my last year working here in Charlotte, and I was 18, it's complicated, I'll explain later. Um, I, I called their church in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I asked the secretary, I just called the church, they had a secretary, and I was like, hi, my name's Nathan. Um, I, I love to hear um, the Bishop Golder preach, and I don't have any of his tapes. And um, do you guys have something where I could buy some tapes or something? She said, I, I guess we don't, really, we don't really do that regularly. I said, but look, if you'll just make up a big bundle of Bishop Golder preaching, and then you just, I, I'll send you some money. You can pay, tell me what to send you. She said, okay, we can do that. And, and she, she bundled up a bunch of Bishop Golder's tapes and sent them to me. Some of them I still have, believe it or not, somewhere. Um, and uh, don't get any ideas. As soon as I say I have a preacher tape, it's like, my God, you hold them out. You hold them out. I'll quit church up in here. You better give me that tape. <laughs> and um, I listen. And Bishop Golder was one of those preachers who, of course, he, you know, in the, uh, the, the African American preaching tradition, uh, he can get away with that more than I can. I have to be a little more appropriate. I did go to Garinger, but I, I, I have to be a little bit more appropriate. Also, he was a good singer. And so he would be preaching and he would be, uh, you know, and God will come in right on time. He'd go ahead and he He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And the church was so used to him doing that that he would do that, and the whole church would be like, ho, 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 and they just would take off singing. And I thought to myself, my God, I've never seen it like that before, but where do I sign? Um, this happens to preachers. Some of my favorite preachers still today, they'll just be preaching, and they will just bust out into a song, and if they can sing good like me, <laughs> then they get away with it. If they can't sing good like me, then, you know, it's harder. But the point is Moses doesn't know what to do with what God has done for him. And so for the first time in all spiritual history, he says, 
blessing. All right. All right. Blessing. Yes. Now, all songs have two parts. Not all, sometimes they have more than that. But the basic structure is verse and course. Verse is full of information. You know? You understand what I'm saying? And then the course is simple. In fact, the verses are usually just complicated enough that you don't want everybody singing them. You want everyone to shut up and just kind of rock and clap their hands, you know, while you have somebody good singer, uh, you know, like people up on the stage, and then they lead, you know. And then you get to the course, and then you can join in there again. They're like, okay, you know, you're, you can join in here. Uh, that's exactly what they do here. <laughs> Moses takes the detailed parts. I want you guys to read Exodus 15 uh, this week as part of your pastoral homework. Man, I just like the way that sounds. Uh, makes me feel like I matter even though I know I don't. But uh, <laughs> uh, Moses takes the complicated parts. He gets into details. And then Miriam, she leads everybody in the course. She gets a tambourine. And this is the first time in Scripture that you see people so overwhelmed with what God has done for them that they just burst into song. I hope in your story, your testimony, you have some experiences where you don't know how to do anything but just bust out singing. Moses showed us the way. I don't know anything else to do but say, I will sing unto the Lord because he has triumphed greatly. Somebody give me a chord. Da, 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 da. And then, you know, the drummer's always trying to take over. He's like, let's put that. The bass player's like, I will triumph gloriously. <laughs> always taking over. <laughs> Moses busts out into a song. Music is the language that begins God. when your regular language ends. Yes. And you can feel what you cannot define. That's why the songs that you sang when you came to adulthood are still your favorite songs. Because they expressed and embedded and linked to an emotional journey that only you can uh, uh, relate to. It's your journey. If you get with uh, people who are from, uh, who dated in the 50s, like <coughs> my mom and dad, um, they'll sing uh, 50 songs to each other. Jesus, help them. You know that ungodly music's nearly destroying them at this stage of life. They're singing that ungodly music one to another. My dad's about to get a blessing over there. He's like, my God, <laughs> get some Elvis in the house. We'll be making out in a few minutes. Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. That's too much. I'll take that back. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, whatever song tells the story of your emotional journey, you will never get over that song. Moses is saying, I'm experiencing something. I, I, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm just going to sing about it. And for the first time in the word of God, the people began to sing. I want to be like that. I want to have a heart to see what God has done for me. And I want to experience it so deeply that I don't know how to be logical about it. I don't know how to be, you know, point number one, two, and three. Although that's helpful. Uh, teaching is helpful. And points like that and themes and ideas are great. I'm all for that. You guys know that. But the experience of what God has done for me, I just want to sometimes feel that urge in my heart to burst out with a song of praise to God. I can't tell what you have done for me enough, God. You've been so good to me. We all of us have songs. We used to sing a song when I was growing up, Look What the Lord Has Done. Anybody ever grow up singing that song? I know, you old like me. That's the true story. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord. What has he done? Healed my body, touched my mind. Some of you need your mind touched because your mind's crazy. Saved you just in time. I'm going to praise his name. 
What songs did you grow up with that are embedded in your spirit? When's the last time you took a pause in all your distractions and all your hobbies and all your he said, she said, and they did and they didn't, and you stopped to say, God, I just want to tell you, if it weren't for your love in my life, there would be no hope for me. I am here because you saved me, and I'm going to offer a song of thanksgiving. I'm going to offer a song of praise and worship. I cannot tell enough of what you have done for me. So watch this. I want to reverse the order now. Um, If the songs that were a part of your formative experiences are always going to have a direct line to your memories and your emotions, you should use songs as a way of reconnecting to what God has done for you. When God has done it, you write a new song. But when you look back to what he has done for you, oftentimes you'll sing an old song because the emotional experience of the realization there was no hope for me there was no future for me there was nothing for me and God said I choose you and you were like me I don't deserve it look at me I'm as flawed and as messed up and as jacked up as anybody else, and you choose me. Did you know the mess you were choosing? God knew your mess before he chose you, and he chose you anyway. And he tells you again and again, I am yours, and you are mine. I am yours, and you are mine. You need to reconnect with what God has done for you, and let the song of praise and worship be more than just a memory of a style, a time, a decade. Let it be a reminder of what God has done for you. So uh, musicians come. I'm going to show you four uh, things really quick about this song. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole song for time's sake because I get, get, sometimes get a little carried away and take up your time, uh, which I do not apologize for, but I will try to limit my bad habits. Uh, four elements to this praise song that Moses writes. This is the first hymn, the first praise song in all the scripture that is shown to us as a way of offering an unexpressible emotion to God of thanksgiving in the form of a song because that's what Moses is doing. He doesn't know how to say it in a lecture, a sermon, a commentary, and so it bursts into a song. He has watched as God has not just set them free from oppression, the place of oppression, but he has defeated the power of the oppressor to ever take them back into oppression. They are now free and free indeed. The first element of Moses' song, and this is how to write a praise song, okay? Here's the four foundational elements in how to write a praise song. First of all, it's a story of salvation, what God has done that you could not do. God has done things for you that you could never do for yourself. Can I have a big amen? My praise song is going to tell the story not of how I had a hard time, but how God saved me. My song is not going to tell about how I finally learned to do better and quit acting crazy. Uh, My song is about how God, God saved me. If it were not for the Lord on my side, where would it be? And the hymns that are given to us in the scripture, the psalms that are given to us, they express in beautiful poetic fullness. They express this emotional realization that God is my salvation. Let me ask you this question. Uh, What is your story of salvation? And have you put it into a life of praise and a life of worship? How has God made a difference in your life? Have you put it into a life of praise and worship every day? The manner in which you live either sings the praises of God or it shows how you are just another soul coping with limitations and dealing with setbacks. Your life should be a song of praise and worship to God. And the first element is this. If God didn't save me, there would be no hope for me. The second reality is to tell the story of God's majesty and power and God's greatness, not 
not simply that he saved me. I want to explain this because there's a subtle detail that once you get it, you'll understand exactly what I'm trying to say. But for a moment, you'll maybe struggle to understand because if you're talking about how God saved me, why would you also need to talk about how God is uh, mighty? Uh, Well, let me explain. A lot of people do things for you that they can't do for others because they love you. You probably have family members who helped you, but you best not show up at their house with all your neighbors saying, this is my brother and he's going to help all of y'all move. No, he helped you. Does that make sense? So we say God saved me and then we say God is mighty to save. You see, let's say you have a rich uncle, and every time you get broke and can't pay your light bill, you call him up, and you're like, I need help paying light bill this month. And he's like, my God, I wish you had quit gambling. You have a, such an ignorant problem with gambling. Don't you understand math? Don't you understand gambling's a tax for people who don't know math? Mm, just let that be a blessing to you. Let that be a blessing to you. All you economics type, I know who you are. Just be blessed with that. Lauren's about to run the aisles back there. He's like, my God, that's preaching my language right there. Sorry for picking on you, brother. (laughs) Him and I argue economics all the time. Anyway, moving along. You can't take your rich uncle who pays your light bill to all your friends and say, this is my uncle. He paid my light bill. And not only that, he is mighty to pay light bills. Because when all your friends show up at your rich uncle's house with their light bill, that's the last time you're having your light bill paid. Can I get a witness from all the the church people over here? Okay, your uncle paid your light bill, but he's not mighty to pay light bills. Now, let me tell you about God. God didn't just save me. He's mighty to save. God didn't just bless me. He's mighty to bless. In fact, he doesn't have less when he gives me some. In fact, he doesn't even feel it's a loss when he gives it to you. Because in his kingdom, it's not scarcity-based. It's abundance-based. And God's not just the savior of me. He's mighty to save. Now here, I want you to know, all the stories in this church of lives that God put back together, God put them back together. And all of them can stand in this house and say, if you'll humble yourself before the Lord, he can put your life back together too. We are not just saying he is my savior. We're saying he is mighty to save. Somebody say amen in this house here today. Number three, we always give God glory for salvation, which creates an interesting theological consequence because we say we believe that God has all glory and nothing can take away from or add to his glory. We say we believe that and we call that the the, the nature of God, the omnipotence of God, all of those words that come from their Latin origins referring to the infinity of God. God and we say he's great and I can't make him more great or less great you see he's great but then we say we give him glory because he saved us read the song that Moses wrote he gives God glory because God saved him all praise given to God you have saved us but I want you to know God's not the one who needs glory we're the ones who need to glorify because the only chance we have at seeing God accurately to who he is and seeing ourselves accurately to who we are is to let what God has done be a part of the glory we perceive. Why do I say that? Because here's the truth about all of us. We struggle to see how great he really is. That's why every time you have a setback at work, you, have, you wake up in the middle of the night afraid. You, you, I do the same thing. You do the same thing. Every single time, I struggle to see how great he is. But when I remind myself what he can do with a broken down sinner like me, I exalt him, not for his sake, but for my sake. And my praise song is not simply telling the world 
watch this, that he saved me, testimony. And it's not just telling the world he's mighty to save, mission, go preach to all, teach to all. It reminds me that I need to perceive his greatness or I'm going to miss what he's doing next. I need to see his glory. Okay? And lastly, the fourth element, if you read this psalm, this song that Moses gives us, is there is a forward-looking element to what, not just what God has done, but a forward-looking element to what God is going to do. And for Moses, that entails not just freedom uh, from this place of oppression and not just deliverance uh, from the power of the enemy to oppress, but God is taking us to a place that is our own. And God is preparing for us a land of promise, a place of purpose, and a mission among the nations. We are not just those who have been set free. We are not just looking back to what God has done, but we praise Him as a forward-looking element to who He is and what He is going to do. This is why the Bible tells us repeatedly that God did something for His namesake. I am praising Him not just because of what He has done, but He's not finished keeping me. Did you hear what I said? He's not finished protecting me. He's not finished working on me. He's not finished being merciful to me, but His mercies are new every morning. Four parts to a praise song. Uh, He's my salvation. He is mighty to save. Uh, And because He has done this work of salvation in me, I'm never going to stop praising Him and perceiving His glory. And not only that, we're just getting started. What God is going to do is greater than anything I have. Somebody stand with me all across this house right now. I want you to say this to yourself, if you will, in your spirit. God is just getting started. Go ahead, talk to yourself right now. God is just getting started in what he wants to do in our lives, what he wants to do in this church, what he wants to do in the ministries of this church. God is just getting started. The issue is not the nature of God. The issue is whether or not we're going to be involved in what God has already said he is going to do oh praise God somebody praise God somebody Okay, here's what we're going to do. I feel the presence of the Lord here today. I feel faith in this house. I feel like there's a lot of you with a sense of spiritual expectancy. And that's because you've been thinking about what God has done for you. How many of you have been thinking about things God has done for you while I've been preaching here today? How many of you remember when God set you free of something that you thought would be the end of you? Do you remember that? Is there anybody with a testimony of deliverance here today? Any of you have a family member who you thought they were stuck in some type of an illness, sickness, or disease, and God stepped in and delivered them? I am a living testimony of what God can do to keep his people. I have testimony after testimony of my own life of where I thought there was nothing but trouble ahead, but God ushered us through the storm, and God led us through the pain, and we become a living testimony. Now, when you think of what God has done for you, I want you to put in context what the devil's trying to do against you. And I want you to compare what God has done for you in the reality that the, uh, the fact that the enemy's always going to be against you. God is for you. The enemy's against you. Uh, who are you going to praise? We praise God by focusing upon God, about remembering our salvation, about celebrating his nature. We give the devil credit with fear, with doubt, and with negativity of speech. Which kingdom are you rooting for in your life? I want to be a part of the house of God. I want to speak praises of what God has done. And I'm challenging every one of you to be a, to commit yourself today to be a worshiper in your life. Not just when it's working out well for you, but a worshiper as a way of being. I choose to praise God. 
if you have a need here today, we're, we're going to move into uh, the end of our service here. I want you to have the confidence to step out and let, let some of our pastors anoint you with oil here today. If you want to come up to the front, if you can, if you want to just step in the aisle, we'll look for you and some of us will come to where you are. But I want you to believe here today that God is going to do great and mighty things in your life because it is who he is. We have one coming right now. Come up here, my sister. We're going to believe for a touch of God in her life. How, who else here today wants to step out and say, I'm believing for a touch in my life here today? Feel free to do it right now. Whatever your need is, God is able to intervene in your life and make a difference in your life. Our worship team is going to take us deeper into praise. If you're standing with your family, pray one for another. If you're with friends, pray one for another with your friends. Let's linger in the presence of the Lord. I want to challenge all of you to do a couple things. First of all, think of the songs that have meant something to you in your testimony and connect those songs to challenge you're facing now. Uh, this is something I've done my whole life. Maybe it's just the way my personality, maybe it's the way I was raised, who knows. But uh, in the middle of a trial, I, I, I'll get a hold of a song and that song becomes a rally point in my spirit. And it's somehow saying something, uh, I, it's beyond words. I know the song has words, but the song is beyond words. And I connect that song with that challenge. If you're facing a challenge, if you need a specific uh, help from God, dealing with a specific pain or, or difficulty or setback, um, think of something God has done for you and find a song that speaks to you. And let that song be that which bursts forth out of your spirit like a water, a well springing up into new life. And don't just face your battle without a song. Don't face your battle without a song. Every army needs a road song. <laughs> Every army needs a march song. Don't face your battle without a song. Let it speak for you when your words seem to uh, be growing weak. I want to say this also. If any of you are here and you have uh, not received or you're hungry to receive the next step, of spiritual experience we we ex we get to know god uh, through a series of experiences and uh, progression of knowledge it takes both it is word and spirit it is heart and head it is a progression of knowledge and experiences and uh, the way that it the way that plays out in our life is uh, kind of like a journey where you have growth and knowledge and you have uh, new experiences in God. For some of you, uh, you have faith in God, but you haven't grown in knowledge and you haven't had uh, the life-changing experiences that are available to you that God wants to have in you. Um, there would not have been a day of Pentecost if the disciples did not need an experience to keep them strong. And I want you as a pastor to have great experiences in God. I want you um, to experience the nearness of his presence and uh, that is going to come into your life through increasing devotion and increasing atmosphere of praise and worship in your life I want all of you to receive the reassurance of God's presence in you that we call uh, the gift of tongues it is a it is a sign it is not the spirit it is a sign of the spirit that God gives to you that your confidence might have a transformation that your sense of God's power in you might have a real transformation and you went in fearful but you came out fearless you need that gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. And uh, I know you feel God leading you, convicting you, and guiding you. Uh, but that's not the same thing as the gift of tongues where you know that he is taking up residence in the temple of your heart. And we want you to have that. Uh, that's who we are. I, I don't know how we would make it without you having that. But I want to tell you the path toward that. Uh, the repentance is the easy part as far as understanding um, because it makes sense to apologize. It makes sense to turn away. Uh, the more difficult part of it is where you get really comfortable in praise and worship. As you get comfortable in praise and worship, it is though you throw open the doors of your heart and you say, Lord, come in and live with me. And the Bible gives us that scripture. He inhabits the praise. 
And so I want to encourage all of you to let an atmosphere of praise permeate your life. Don't just praise God on Sundays, please. Praise God in your car. Praise God in your daily devotion. If you're ready to take that step, um, we have uh, we have everything we need in a church to help you take that next step of spiritual breakthrough. Whether it's a one-on-one Bible study, whether it is personal time, whether it is prayer time, we exist for your spiritual progress and growth. It's not enough for us to have experienced God's presence. We want you to experience God's presence. And so I know I'm going on about this, but I intentionally want to do this. I want you to have transformational experiences with God and that's going to come to you through the avenue of praise and worship. Lord, I pray you would be with your people. I pray you would walk with them. I pray you would lead them. Let them be changed today by your power. Let all of us have a week of victory, a week of blessing. And when the struggle comes, help us see it not as a standalone reality, but part of the story of victory and blessing. Because the trial in our life does not stand alone. It is part of the story of victory and blessing that you are telling in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you we love you have a great week victory should be yours all week long because god is your victory thank you for listening to first church charlotte if this podcast has blessed you please rate it with four or five stars by doing so you will help others find our free podcast and bless them if you're in the charlotte north carolina area Come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.